I was able to take home more in a year than the CEO of McDonald's, Ikea, Ford, Motorola, and Yahoo combined as a kid in his 20s. And that equated to $1.2 million per month in dividends for nearly the last half decade. This is The Fighting Entrepreneur, the podcast dedicated to entrepreneurs looking to change the world. Learn how to start, build, and scale a business in today's highly competitive business environment. Here's your host, The Fighting Entrepreneur, Anik Singhal. What's up, you crazy fighting entrepreneurs? Guess who it is? Your favorite person in the whole wide world. Onyx and back with another fighting episode. This is a killer one. I'm going to piggyback off of a keynote event that we did at the Copy Funnel Summit recently at Learn. And it was our keynote guest speaker, Alex Hermosi. He went and did an amazing conversation. He had an amazing talk, I should say, about how to build a $100 million offer. Let me tell you something, his book is out and you should go grab it. Go to Amazon, type in $100 million offer. Just type in 100M offer. You can't go wrong. This book took the internet like by storm. I have never seen, I'm telling you in 20 years, I have never seen a book that's released to this industry that launched the way his does. His didn't have any big fancy launch. There was no huge affiliate campaigns and email campaigns. He just put it out there and just announced, guys, I got this book out. And go go ahead, check. Last time I checked, I had over 2,000 reviews on Amazon. It went like gangbusters. So I got interested and I read the book. This is months ago when it had like five, 600. Because everyone's talking about it. Everyone's like commenting on social media like, oh my God, get this book, get this book. So I'm like, well, I've been doing this for 20 years. What can this guy teach me about a $100 million offer? I grabbed the book and I'm like, oh my God. This book has now become the mantra of my team. Like I'm literally telling them every offer we create, make sure you compare it to what's in this book. So guess what you have on this episode, the ability to hear the author of the book basically walk you through the key concepts right here on this podcast. So he gave us his permission. We're going to use his key note talk right here. So I'm going to turn it over to Alex. What's going on, everyone? Happy Monday. Everyone, uh, everyone excited? I, uh, I'm very honored to be here. I appreciate you guys. Um, I know that the most valuable asset you guys have is your time and attention. And so I will do my very best to give you a high return on it. Um, and so I, I, I feel uh, very humbled by the uh, introduction. I hope that I can uh, live up to it <laughs> uh, because uh, I think you guys all deserve that. And so uh, if you guys are pumped, I'm really pumped to, to, to give you this presentation today. Um, I'm going to cover... Uh, I had, the, I had the decision to make, I was talking to my wife about this presentation, and I said, I can either try and cover as much stuff as humanly possible or go deep on a few core concepts so that it'll actually stick with you. And I went back and forth on it, and um, I know that you guys have a lot of speakers today that have already spoken, you'll have more later. Um, and I lean towards giving you four core concepts that I think will directly increase how much money you guys can make in your businesses. So is that okay? Can I get a one in the chat if you guys are good with that? All right. Awesome, you guys are great. So let's, um, I'm gonna share share my screen and uh, hopefully everyone's internet is super fast. <laughs> um, and then uh, we will rock and roll this thing, cool? All right, let's go, giddy up. Boom. All right, and here we are. Okay, acquisition.com, you only have to get rich once. It's one of my, I had a mentor tell me that. 
Um, and for some reason, it always stuck with me. You should only have to get rich once, which to me just sounds like uh, don't make mistakes other people have made. All right. So you guys want to hear something totally insane, like completely out there, wild? Well, I'll tell you. Uh, I was able to take home more in a year than the CEO of McDonald's, Ikea, Ford, Motorola, and Yahoo combined as a kid in his 20s. <laughs> and that equated to $1.2 million per month in dividends for nearly the last half decade. And honestly, no one is more surprised than I am <laughs> about that. Um, and so me expressing this fact early on in this presentation in some people will create envy. Um, it'll create anger in other people. It'll create skepticism in most and confusion in old folks. And hopefully it should inspire a select few. And so if that was you, then you are the people that I'm making this presentation for, all right? Because I know exactly where you're at because um, I have been there and I will, I'll walk you through that. So I was, um, I was talking at, a, at an event not that long ago and they had like levels to entrepreneurship and level seven was what they called me, which was like the highest level, which is kind of silly. Um, for me, because I, you'll see in a second why. <laughs> but um, just a couple observations for everyone, uh, kind of like from outside looking in that may be valuable for you. The first one is that everyone wants you to do well, just not better than them. And I think that's something that we can all recognize, like, some of you probably have experienced that, um, other you will experience that if you have people rooting for you as an underdog, sometimes that will change as you become more successful. Second, Except that no one actually wants you to be rich except for you. And so it's only going to be up to you to get there. And the nice thing about success habits and wealth and business is that even if you don't deserve it in terms of your character, et cetera, if you still do the actions, success does not care. So success is colorblind. Success only cares about the work that is done. Third point that I've kind of found in my, in my time Money only solves money problems. And then you are left with problems that money can't solve. And so I know a lot of you um, maybe maybe in a situation where like another, you know, more money feels like it will solve all your problems. And I can tell you um, it won't. It'll just solve the ones that money can solve. Um, and so you'll realize, which is uh, point four, is that you don't actually arrive ever. Uh, you just enter a new club as the smallest member. And so in the building that I live in, um, it's almost exclusively eight, nine, and 10 figure entrepreneurs. So eight is 10 million, nine is hundred million and 10 is a billion. The guy who lives directly above me. So literally the unit directly above me, he actually owns the entire building. Um, and last year he did 3.8 billion in sales top line. He probably percent net margins on that, meaning he took home $930 million in income. And so all that ends up happening is you, you just get into a new, a new club as the smallest member. Uh, there's just levels to the game. And um, I'll just leave you with this one last thing for those of you uh, who, who see what I see on the, on the internet world and the Instagram flexes is that everyone talks about the laptop lifestyle, having a business that spits out cash flow for you, passive income, blah, 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 blah. Um, this last year, I did almost nothing work-wise, um, and our businesses generate a tremendous amount of cash flow. And I can tell you that I was very miserable. Um, and that I think that we need as a community to make work 
cool again. Uh, because we kind of, I see it all over the place, especially in the entrepreneur team of, of demonizing the grind, demonizing uh, the hustle, demonizing putting the hours in um, and saying that like, if your business requires you, then it's not a real business. Um, and I think that it's a load of BS because after having now exited the business, uh, multiple businesses now, I can tell you it's not fun. And I feel like what my, my end result of this entire process for me is that I sought out freedom thinking that freedom meant I didn't, I had all my time when what I should have been pursuing was options. And so if you enjoy the work you do, you have arrived. And so I can tell you right now, and what I'm doing in 2022 is basically repositioning myself to get back hundred percent into the grind because I choose to. And so anyways, I wanted to just give you guys that because I know a lot of people are in different, different places, but I just wanted to share some things that I wish I had heard earlier on. So who wants to hear about some stuff that can shortcut your path to material success so you can ponder the purpose of achieving it to begin with? Cool, can I get a quick one? Quick one in the chat? Yes, yes, all right, rock and roll, you guys are awesome. Okay, so for those of you who don't know me, my name is Alex Mosey, founder and CEO of acquisition.com. I have absolutely nothing to sell you for those of the Mosey Nation that's here, what's up? Um, except for this book, you can get it on, on Amazon for 99 cents. Um, I, I priced it that way just because I just want everyone to be able to have it. Um, and as a fun side note for those of you guys who are marketers in the audience, uh, which should, hopefully should be a lot of you, um, some fun facts that people don't know. Uh, this book in the last three months has sold 75,000 copies, uh, which is pretty wild. Um, and I have run no ads. I have zero funnels. And I, I just made one post on Instagram, which I don't have a big Instagram. Um, and that was it. And so I think that as much as as much as we like to talk about all of the things that come to marketing and making offers and direct response and all of that jazz, um, the biggest companies in the world are so big because they build products that people want to buy and want to tell their friends about. And if you make your product so good that people can't help but tell other people about it, you will build the fortunes that you desire. And so um, I say this just as a, as a reminder, because, you know, I think a lot of people could tell that when I, I wrote the book, it was out of love, it's 99 cents. Um, and I think that if we can, if we can work from that place, you will create things that are more magical than all the people who are trying to create things out of scarcity, only to make a buck. And so anyways, just as a side note. So let's rock and roll. All right. So here's a quick framework that I have for making offers. All right. And the reason that we're going to focus on offers is because I believe that they are the fastest shortcut to material success in a business. If I'm going to take a business over, I'm going to take a, a chunk of a business uh, as an investor. The first thing I'm going to do is look at the offer stack, which is what are the things, what are the sequence of offers we're going to make to the customers and prospects over their journey with the business? All right. Now, there's a lot of things that I cover in the book. And I, like I said earlier, I could have covered every single one of them, but instead I'm going to cover four main ones. Okay. So these are the main things that I look at in the business um, and some of the issues that most business owners deal with. One is the commodity problem. So the goal is to decommoditize it. The second is making sure that we're actually targeting the right avatar who we think is going to be able to generate us the most long-term lifetime revenue. All right. The third is that we're going to make sure that we can charge a premium price for the, the services and products that we sell. And then fourth, I'm going to cover the value equation, all right, because it's probably the biggest takeaway of the book. And it is, it is the concept that the book is based around. All right. Scarcity, urgency, bonuses, guarantees, and naming are all things that will enhance the effectiveness of your offer. Um, and I'll, I'll tell you at the end, some, some easy resources that I can, I can give you guys for those. All right, cool. So we're going to cover these four. And so let's rock and roll. So here's the problem right now, if your ads are not converting well, so clicks and opt-ins, 
uh, and or your sales team has trouble scaling. So it means it takes too long to ramp up new, rep, new reps. Um, then adjusting your offer is usually the issue. It's usually the core problem that most people don't see. All right. And so to catch fish, you need bait or an offer. All right. An offer is the starting port of any data transaction. You're providing them in exchange for their money. That is what an offer is. The reason I define it is because it's good to have shared terminology. All right. So an offer is going to be the number one driver of success of any campaign. And I'll prove it to you in a second. All right. So what does it actually do? It will allow you to sell in a vacuum or a category of one and forces customers to make a values-based decision instead of a price-based decision. All right. I'm going to say that again. It will force your customers, if done successfully, to make a values-based decision instead of a price-based decision. All right. If someone makes a price-based decision, it means they hold up two things. They say, these are close enough. I will make a decision based on the price and I will choose the cheaper one because these two are comparable. If I make a values-based decision, I say, this is the only thing I have nothing else I can compare it to. And therefore I must accept the price that is being charged if I deem the value sufficient, all right? And so the goal is to decommoditize the offer that we are selling so that we can sell in a category of one. And you can do this in any type of business that you have. And so when you do this successfully, you will increase the click-through rates on your offers on any platform you're doing, whether it's cold outbound, whether it's, whether it's cold emails, whether it's ads, whether it's earned media, whether it's to your list, it doesn't matter where you're presenting the actual offer, where those, that offer sits with eyeballs, wherever the eyeballs are, if you make a decommoditized offer that is value-based rather than price-driven, you will increase the number of clicks that you get, you'll increase the percentage of those clicks that convert, and you'll increase the price at which those people purchase, all right? And so the simple translation for that, for those of you who are, who are hopefully... <laughs> not bored out of your mind with the, the concept or with the, the, the marketing jargon is you get more leads, you get more sales at higher prices and each of those multiply. So if you could 2X your leads, 2X the conversion on those leads, which is now a 4X, and then you can increase your price by 2X, that is an 8X increase in business. That is why the offer is so important and so strong. All right, so let me give you, give you guys two real life examples of B2C weight loss, all right? So I'm gonna give you guys a real life example. So B2C weight loss right now is $99 a month. If we're going to try and sell that, all right, for $99 a month, I could not do it, all right? I failed miserably. And so what I had to do when I was trying to, I couldn't even give this away for free. We transformed this offer into a free six week challenge. By doing that, what ended up happening is we changed a not even break even offer to getting 30 to one returns. 30 to one returns on our advertising, all right? The second example I wanna give you, and I'm gonna walk you through this one live together, is a $1,500 per month retainer offer. Uh, one of our software companies that we sold called Allen, um, we dealt with a lot of brick and mortar agencies. So people who would sell to chiropractors, people who would sell to whatever, right? And a lot of times they had an issue where they were getting commoditized, right? Everyone had more or less the same offer. And so they would say, hey, um, you know, pay me every month and either you get results or you don't get results. And the average agency who was there would get about 0.5 to one return on their ad spend in their first 30 days. So if they spend a thousand bucks, they would make $500 on average. And then the next month they would make a thousand and so forth, right? So they kind of broke even or lost a little on the front end and then they continued on the back end. But what we were able to do is actually 22X the increase on average of the return on ad spend by simply changing the offer. Is that cool? So right now, 
if you could 22x the, the difference that you got, and it did the same thing on the first one, same thing on the second, we're talking 20x, 30x increase the return on ad spend. Would that be cool for you guys? Yes, it'd be awesome. Okay, so this is what happened before with the agency offer. Okay, so if you look here, I have this chart, and this is these are the actual numbers. So when the guys were spending ten thousand dollars a month, they would reach three hundred thousand people. The response rate was 0 0.00013. Right, the number of appointments that booked was 40. The show rate was 75. Appointments showed 30. You know, closing percentage was 16 percent. Appointments was five. Price was a thousand bucks. Right, so they'd make five thousand dollars off ten thousand. These were the real numbers. Okay. Now, when we introduced the new Grand Slam offer, and the new offer that we gave them was pay us one time, and we will work all of your leads for you, and then you only pay us again after this first payment, after someone shows up. So only pay us when someone shows up after you sign up with us. That's it. You pay me once today. I set everything up. And then from that point going forward, you never have to pay me again unless someone walks in your door. Can you imagine the difference that that feels like to somebody or a business owner from, a, from an offer perspective, right? Yeah. So check out the difference here. So the advertising spend was equivalent between, you know, day one. It says 10,000, 10,000, right? Impressions are the same because, you know, ads still cost the same amount. But here's what's crazy. Two and a half X increase in response rate. Okay. Two and a half X, but that's just step one. Now the changing result is we go from 40 appointments to hundred appointments for that $10,000 of ad spend. Show rate was the same, nothing changed there, but now we have 75 people showed up rather than 30. And here's the next crazy part is that rather than closing 16%, which is what they were doing with their commoditized offer at a lower price, they were now closing 37%. That's 2.3 X. All right. So more people were now buying more. Okay. And so now I look at the difference in appointments closed. You have five appointments closed versus 28. That's the result. And here's what's even crazier. They were closing 16% at a thousand dollar price point. But with the new offer, the Grand Slam offer, they were closing that at four times the price, four times the price. And so this was the end result for that same $10,000 in ad spend went used to get them five clients at $5,000 a month. And there's their $5,000. Instead, now they got 28 customers at $4,000 up front with a continuity program that had what I call an implied guarantee, which I won't be able to get into today, but basically any kind of performance offer that you can make is always an implied guarantee. And so they would make $112,000 simply by changing the offer, which is a 22.4X increase in cash collected up front. And that doesn't even include the lifetime value on the back end. All right, so you guys getting how powerful this is, the difference between 0.5 and 11.2, they didn't even change the creative. They just changed the offer. They didn't change their funnels. They didn't change their nurture sequences. They didn't change any of that stuff. They just changed what they were offering to the marketplace. All right, so right now, can you think about in your business how if you could change that core thing, how different the outcomes could be? Cool. So everyone feel good about that in terms of understanding why this is so important and why the goal should not be a commodity, but actually sell in a category of one with an offer that's so good that people feel stupid saying no. Does that make sense? That is why this is so important because otherwise you're gonna be price compared, you're gonna, you're gonna have lower conversions, you're gonna have lower people show up, you're gonna be able to only sell at low prices and you're ultimately just gonna be like everybody else and everybody else is broke. So don't be like them, all right? So step number two is making sure that we find the right market, all right? So um, this is kind of an interesting concept. So I was at a, uh, and if the, if the picture is blurry, it's because my picture is actually blurry and I couldn't find a, a sharp one. Um, so I went to this mastermind um, and in the room, the, the entire group was doing, um, actually it was 600 million in top, top line revenue. So the highest guy was doing 250 million, 
Smallest guy was doing seven. Second smallest guy at the time was doing 35. All right. Um, and everybody else was in between. And so I was sitting there and, you know, I, I was watching these guys do their presentations. And I, I just, I was left with this feeling where I was like, why are these guys making more money than me? I was like, I couldn't get it. Like, I, I, I was just like, I was losing my mind trying to figure this out. Right. And then it dawned on me after I was just like going on these walks. I was like, they're just going after better markets. That's all like, that was it. Like it wasn't, they were better at sales. It wasn't, they were better at marketing. It wasn't like they were better at F fulfillment. I was like, I know that we're, we're nailing these things. Cause when I was talking to them, I didn't feel like they, I lacked something. It was just because they were going after the right market. All right. And so there you go. It's almost like I made this presentation. Um, and that was the conclusion, right? They picked better markets. And so what I want to do is because this is probably the number one question I get from people who are newer in the entrepreneurial space. Um, and so here's the quick answer that I give most people. If you're trying to figure out who you're going to serve, right? And you're earlier on in your journey, the way to pick that person is select the actor you can provide the most value to, period. So if you have like two or three people you're trying to decide between, pick the guy that you can provide the most value to. That's the game, all right? Now, number two, the medium answer. You want to make sure that you pick a single avatar so that you can productize your service and provide that value with low operational drag. So let me give you an example. So if you were to help one chiropractor do something, right, and generate leads or whatever, then you would probably, it would take you a lot of work to get that first guy going, right? But if you had 100 chiropractors, your 100th chiropractor, you probably have a lot of that stuff pre-built and pre-made, right? Which means the amount of time and effort that it would take you to do that 100th one is very low. And on top of that, through that 100 iterations, you probably get better and better and better. And so here's what happens. The value that you provide actually increases and the cost to you actually decreases, which means that there's a big discrepancy between what that person is now getting and how much it costs you. And we call that profit, which is the point, right? And so the reason that we niche down when we're picking our markets is so that we can ultimately make more money. And I don't have this uh, example in, in the presentation, but I'm gonna hit this. This is a single example. Let me see if I can stop sharing my screen real quick. Okay, so right now, if I were to say, hey guys, I have a time management product, right? And uh, if I if I was selling it and you go to Barnes and Nobles or whatever, you'd probably find it for 19 bucks, right? It's just time management. Cool. Now, if I were to say, hey, same product, but now it's time management for salespeople. Can you all of a sudden imagine that product being like a $99 product? Like, oh, okay. I could imagine that being a $99 product. All right. Now let's niche down a little further and say, well, of the people that could you know, make the most money with time, salespeople definitely will, will make more money with safe time. But what about outbound salespeople? We can make it even more specific and talk about their pain points, et cetera. And so we now make it an outbound sales rep time management course or book, right? And now this is probably like, can you imagine that? It's more probably more like a $500 product, right? So you're an outbound sales rep time management for outbound sales reps. Ah, so what if we niche down even further and we said um, outbound, power tools and gardening sales reps, time management. All of a sudden, this product goes from 500 to a $2,000 product, right? Now, here's what's crazy about this. The product remains virtually unchanged. The only thing we did is we defined who the avatar was and we got narrower and narrower and narrower. And so right now, if you're thinking like the goal is that that prospect, when they read your persuasion, they read your copy, the goal is not for them, for for them to understand what you are writing. The goal is for them to feel understood. And that is the goal of great persuasion is that they feel understood. That's the point. And so the better we can articulate their problems and their reality to them, the more they will be willing to purchase our product. 
right? And the more what we want them to feel is this is just for me. And that's the goal, right? And so when we're picking that market, right? Let's go back to our presentation. <clears throat> this is my live speech answer, which is what you guys are going to get. So I give you the quick answer, which is provide, go, go pick the guy you can provide the most value to. The medium answer is zero in on that niche and go really hard on it so that you can eventually productize your service and decrease your operational drag. But here's my live speech answer. All right. So right now let's pretend we're, we're in class, right? And there's a marketing professor that's, um, that's in front of the, in front of, in front of, in front of us. Right. And he says, everybody here has now been gifted a, a hot dog stand and you are now forced to be in the hot dog stand business. If you had one competitive advantage for your hot dog stand, what would it be? I want you to say in the chat, what would it be? Better products, better ingredients, um, you know, better, better prices, better location. You know, what, 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 what would it be? Like, what's the, what's the, what's the one thing that you would want to have? If you only had one competitive advantage, what would it be? All right. Well, I'll tell you in this, uh, and I think this may actually be a real story, so I'm not sure. And so in the classroom, all these people started shouting, shouting out all those things, right? You know, better ingredients, all that kind of stuff, right? And after everyone died down, he said, the secret is that you want to starve and crowd. Because when the football game lets out at three o'clock in the afternoon and everyone's starving and drunk, you want to be the guy on the hot dog stand at the corner. And you could have the worst hot dogs that were wildly overpriced and you would still sell out. Because when you have a starving crowd, when the supply demand curve is in your favor, it's hard to not make money and not make lots of it, okay? And so when we're looking at the market, these are the four attributes that I look for when I'm looking to pursue a market, okay? You can write these down. Number one is I want them to not just desire, but be in desperate need of the solution that I have, all right? I don't want people who are merely aroused. I want people who are ravenous for a solution. Number two, they must have the ability to purchase the product that I want at the price that I want to charge. Number three, they must be easy to target. If I can't target them, I can't put my offer in front of them, I will ultimately not be able to reach them and sell. And then number four, I wanna make sure that it's a growing market. All right, so let's dive in. So one of the sayings that I have in my sales team is the pain is the pitch, right? And like I said earlier, the point of good writing is for the reader to understand. The point of good persuasion is for the prospect to feel understood, all right? And so the goal here is that we want them to feel understood in the copy, which is why niching down is so important, right? It's very difficult to make someone feel unique and singled out if you're talking to the masses, right? Which is why it's so amazing that some of these mass market brands that do exist, but most of them start small and then continue to scale in adjacent markets, all right? So we want to make sure that they're in desperate need. Number two, so a friend of mine um, had a really good process for improving people's resume so they could get more job interviews. Like he had a really dialed in process. And he looked at these four things and he was like, well, this is, I think this will absolutely crush. And as you guys might even imagine, his improving people's resumes so they can get more interviews, it actually tanked. And the reason was, the, it was a growing market. It was easy to find the unemployed people. They were in desperate pain, but they had no money, right? And so he had a really hard time charging the amount that he wanted for the service that he had. Right. And so we got to make sure that whatever market you're zeroing in on, they can afford you. Right. And the thing is, is there is a market out there that is in desperate need of the solution that you have. Find them. Right. And they will pay you what you're worth. Life's too short to deal with people who don't appreciate you. All right. So number three, this one is very tactical. Right. But if you're trying to sell to you know, rich doctors and your ads or your offers are only being displayed to nurses, 
it's going to fall on deaf ears no matter how good the offer is, no matter how good your funnels are, no matter how good your sales team is, no matter how good the product is, you're just not reaching them, right? And so if your people are not aggregated somewhere in associations, groups, lists, channels, et cetera, then just don't pick it. Because at the end of the day, like business is hard enough on its own. You might as well just make the things have as many tailwinds behind you as you possibly can. Because the thing is, is it's ultimately our choice, right? Whatever business or marketplace we choose to get into, it's our choice. So I might as well pick one that's going to be easy to work on, right? And so... That's, this is a little bit of a tactical point, but this is just through my experience of dealing with lots of companies and having owned and scaled lots of companies, it's much easier to deal with ones that are easy to target, all right? And so here's the fourth one, and this is probably my, one of my favorite stories. So Warren Buffett um, was doing an interview and he was talking about uh, his best friend at Columbia. And so this is before he was Warren Buffett. He was just a nerdy kid who liked finance at this point, right? And he said there was a young gentleman who he admired a lot, who he thought was you know, incredibly sharp, had a tremendous work ethic, high integrity. Um, and he was somebody that he was proud to be associated with. And ultimately, when they graduated Columbia, they split, they split ways, right? One person went to the uh, went into steel, and then he obviously went into his partnership that eventually became Berkshire Hathaway, right? And what's interesting is he said when he looks back on his life, one of the most important lessons that happened is that that individual, that man, that friend of his, he said he achieved some material success. He said, but nothing, you know, nothing really remarkable. And he said that that lesson from that man was singular in its importance because what it taught him was it is far more important what boat you are in rather than how hard you row. It is far more important what boat you are in rather than how hard you row. And so a lot of you, a lot of us as entrepreneurs, we pick these huge challenges that, and we're just rowing and rowing and rowing and trying to outpace the current that's going in the other direction, right? And so there's an old VC saying, uh, that's a venture capital saying, where it's great entrepreneur in bad market, market wins, bad entrepreneur in great market, market wins, right? And so the point is, is that the market matters more than anything. When people actually are investing in businesses, they actually look, they're like, what markets do I want to get exposed to? Because they know that even if we're mediocre and the market quadruples, then we will quadruple even if we're average. And so we might as well have the tailwind. And I'll tell you one final story about this. So a good friend of mine, Lloyd, um, really sharp entrepreneur. Um, he had a software company and uh, it grew. And then all of a sudden it started stagnating, right? And this is probably like six or seven years ago. And he's and, he, and and for six or seven years, I saw him really struggle, right, to grow the business. And he and he was uh, he was in the newspaper business, right. And so he was selling an ad product to newspapers. And one time we're having dinner. He's like, dude, I just don't know what's going on. He's like, I mean, my offer is a rev share model. Like, it's they only get you know, I only get paid if they get if they make money. Uh, you know, we've got a great outbound team. We have got a great sales team. Like, I just I don't know what the problem is. And I'm looking at him from across the table, and I was like, you serious? And he was like, yeah. I was like dude, you're selling the newspapers. They're dying, right? They're, they're losing 25% per year compounding. 25% of newspapers go to business every year and they have for the last eight years. And so that's how big the market was. That's how much the market was shrinking annually compounded against him. And so the biggest, and this is probably of the four factors, the biggest one that we have to look at when we're trying to pick our market is we might as well pick the right boat one that has a tide that's behind it with a heavy, you know, with a good wind going in the right direction, because no matter what, business is going to be hard. We might as well have one that's going in the right direction. All right. So those are the four components to picking the right market. Was that useful for you guys in terms of making sure that you're niching down, picking people who have, have pain, have purchasing power, are easy to find and are growing. All right. We want a market that is growing. There's more of them every year, right? If you're getting into sil you know, silver sneakers and retirement homes, 
there are 10,000 people retiring a day and there's not nearly 10,000 units of retirement homes available, right? Which means that that's probably going to be something that if you're in that space, you're going to make a lot of money simply because of supply demand. We'd rather have those chips stacked in our favor. All right. So that's frame. Right. So I want to play a money game and this is not in the book. So you guys should pay attention to this one. This is actually one of my favorite money games of all time. Okay. So let's say that this is your business. You can see the stats on the left there and hopefully it's clear for you. Um, let's say that you have a business that gets 30 new clients a month. Let's say your churn, meaning the percentage of customers that leave every month were active is 33%. That means that the average customer stays for three months. Okay. Let's say the price of your service, whatever it is, is hundred dollars a month. I'm using simple math here. Okay. And so that would mean that your total number of clients that you can actively manage is hundred because every time you sign up 30, 30 more leave, and it's just around and around and it maintains at hundred. All right. And let's say your net margins are 20%. So that would mean that your revenue is $10,000 a month and your profits $2,000 a month. All right. Is everyone with me so far? Everyone good with this? Okay. So let's say we rub, we rub a, a magic water bottle, right? And this magic water bottle is a very specific niche water bottle because this niche water, water bottle creates a niche genie. Okay. And so the, the little niche genie comes out of the, 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 the bottle and says, I am a business gin. And you're like, oh, wow, this guy's intense, right? He says, I can double one aspect of your business and you must pick which of the three you wish me to double. Right. So this is a very niche genie, very particular about his about his wish selection. But, you know, we're like, hey, I'll take a wish if I can get one. Right. And so these are the three doors that he offers us. OK. Choice number one is that he says, I can double the number of new customers that you get every month. So that 30 number turns to 60 new customers a month. So I can do that. That's option one. Option two, I can double the price of your products or services and everything else stays the same. That's option two. It's like, OK, cool. Option three, I can double the number of purchases per customer, which means that people go from staying for three months to staying for six months, okay? So our trend gets cut in half. Now, right now, I want you to put one, two, or three in the chat. Which of the wishes would you wish for from our business genie? All right, you get to pick one. FYI, no matter what, you're gonna make more money because we got a business genie, so we kind of lucked out there, right? I hope everybody's rubbing their water bottles right now for their uh, for a business genie. All right. So let me see in the chat. One, two, or three. One, two, or three. Okay, cool. Really good mix. All right. Who would like to know the actual answer that will net you the most money? Yes? All right. So if you were to double the number of new customers, what would happen is everything would double. So you go from $10,000 uh, $10, a month to $20,000 a month. Your profit would go and your you know, margin stays the same, 20%. So now you go from $2,000 a month to, to $4,000 a month in profit, right? 20%, $20,000 is four grand from 20% of $10,000, which is two grand. All right. So two grand goes to four grand. You have now doubled your profit. That was door number one. Door number three, if you double the number of purchases, you actually make a little bit more than twice the profit. And here's why. If you now are acquiring the same number of customers, right, but they're staying twice as long, right, on your, on your recurring basis, but the margin stays the same, the difference is that the, the cost of acquisition that you are now saving and not, you'll get the same top line revenue as, as, as version one because that customer is now worth twice as much to you, but you only have to spend this, this amount, of, amount of money that it costs you to acquire that same 30. Right. So now you're, you're still spending the same amount. You're still acquiring 30 customers, but now they're worth twice as much. Right. And so by doing that, you actually make a little bit more than twice the profit. All right. So door one is the quote worst door. 
The second runner-up, or the first runner-up rather, is doubling the number of purchasers or decreasing churn in half. And as you can imagine, the, the best choice was choice two, which is doubling the price of your product or service. And here's why this is so crazy. So I'm gonna walk you through this. I'm gonna use my hands, all right? So if we were at $10,000 a month with a 20% margin, that means we're making 2,000. Now, all of a sudden we doubled our price. Now we're at $20,000 a month, but we changed nothing about what we were selling and providing, which means that additional $10,000 a month is pure profit which means we took our, our profit from $2,000 a month to $12,000 a month, which means we 6X'd our income, 6X'd. People talk about making 20% increases. This is a 600% increase. That, my friends, is the power of price, which I wanted to use that story to introduce the pricing section, which is why it's called charge what it's worth. And right now, many of you are undercharging and ultimately under providing value because you are not charging the right amount of money. All right, so I'm going to give you a few frameworks that have served me well here. So this one is called the price to value discrepancy. The goal of any business is to have a price. Uh, right? So it means is charge you, uh, you know, a dollar for something. I want you to get ten dollars worth of value, right? Which is why you want to continue to do business with me because every time you give me a dollar, if you get ten dollars of perceived value back, you're going to want to do that trade as much, you know, as many times as you possibly can, right? Right. So many of you would probably pay more than you currently do for your Netflix subscription. You might pay $20 a month if they raised it and be okay with it. They might pay $30 a month, but the amount of excess that they leave there is the customer surplus. All right. And so you can see there, there's the value and the price. And we always want to make sure that the price is below the value. Here's what happens with most businesses though. Most businesses charge their, uh, their, their price is actually above their value, which is why they never get repeat customers because their product is shit. Right. If you charge at your value, someone will purchase, they won't be negative, they won't be positively moved, right? And so there's two real options here. We can either increase that discrepancy by lowering our price. So if, let's say our value is fixed, right? If we lower our price, we have a discrepancy, right? The other option is to raise our value, right? And I can tell you one of those is gonna make you a lot more money, all right? And I'm sure you already know which one it is, which is increasing your value, all right? So this is what most people do and why you should charge so much that it hurts. Most business owners are not competing on price or value. In fact, they're not actually competing on anything at all. Their pricing process typically looks something like this. And this may be some of your guys' type uh, process. You look at the marketplace, you see what, out, what everyone else is offering, you take the average, you go slightly below to remain competitive, provide what the competition's offering with a little bit more, and then end up with a value proposition of a little more for a little less, right? It's a losing proposition. You're not gonna win that way. All right. And so what I want to do is introduce you to a very different framework to think through this. All right. And this is called the, the virtuous versus vicious cycle of price. All right. So this is what happens when you raise your prices. All right. So if you have any type of business where someone is required to do something, right, like Onyx business, right, you guys are required to do something uh, in order to succeed, right? We have to work. Now, if we raise our prices, this is what happens. If you raise your price, you increase the emotional investment of the person. If you pay $10,000 for a book versus a dollar for a book, what do you think the likelihood is that you're gonna read and finish the book if you pay $10,000 for it? Very high. So same book, because we increase the price, we increase the likelihood the person actually does it. Which if we're saying that we're trying to help people, then it is ethically our prerogative to get 
them as emotionally invested as possible, which means we should use one of the tools we have in our availability, which is price. The second is that if you buy a $10,000 book versus a $1 book, what is your perceived value? You will probably believe that the value is gonna be far superior, even if you change nothing. I'll give you a quick story on this. So right now uh, they, did a, uh, they did a research study with this, where they had um, tasters drink wine, all right? And so they gave them three wines. They had a cheap wine, uh, a mid-tier wine and a high-tier wine. And they told them the price and everything um, on the bottles and they had them try them and they had them rank them, right? And they could see the prices and everything. And so unsurprisingly, they ranked the best one, the best, the middle one, the middle and the cheapest one, the, the, the worst, right? But here was what's crazy. All three bottles had the exact same wine. So in a very real way, price confers value to the product or service that you provide. The reason the Louis Vuitton perch uh, purse means more to you is partially because it is so expensive. Because it costs us so much time and effort to save the money to make the purchase. It partially gets, it, 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 it imprints that value onto the product. So why not use that to our advantage? And especially if we're going to make a lot more money doing it. The third piece is that if someone's more emotionally invested and they perceive it as more valuable, they're going to get better results if the price is higher, right? The demandingness of the customer, and some of you guys will probably know this. Have you guys noticed that your cheapest customers are the worst people and the ones who pay you the most are the easiest to deal with? Right. So when you raise your price, you get more of the good people and fewer of the bad people, right? Hey, $50 a month, you should be on call for me 24 hours a day. You're like, eh, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if I like you more than my wife, right? And then finally, and this is one of the key points that drives me, uh, drives the decision home for me, is that the revenue for fulfillment per customer. So if you triple you know, the profit that you make on a sale, then you have three times the amount of resources compared to your competitor to provide the value that you promised. And ultimately in doing that, you actually provide a better product. And so that is why this is called a virtuous cycle because the more you increase price, the more you increase their, their emotional investment, the more you increase their perceived value of the product that you're giving, the better results they get, the less demanding they are, which is the less operational drag you have to deal with. And ultimately the better product that you'll be able to fulfill because you can keep your promises because you have profit left over, all right? And this is what also in the reverse is true. People care less, they, they value it less, they get worse results, they're more demanding, and you have even less resources left over to hire amazing people, to give them an amazing experience because there's so little profit left over, right? That would be a vicious cycle. And then for you as the business owner, so that was just from the client's perspective, but for you as a business owner, if you increase your price, you increase your profit. If you increase your price, you increase your perceived value of self because who here would rather sell a $100,000 thing than a $10 thing, right? Your own perceived value of what I am worth because of the value I know I can provide goes up, all right? And your perception of impact, because I'll, I'll be honest with you, like business can get hard, but if you're not reminded constantly on a daily basis of the good you are doing, the impact you're making, the customers that you have that are seeing amazing results and success from whatever experience or transformation you provide, if you don't have that, you're gonna be lost eventually, you're gonna burn out. But if you do have that because you raised your price and you had profit to give and reinvest in the business and create amazing experiences, then you'll feel better about it, right? Your service level will go up. And then finally, and this is a key one, if you have a sales team or if you're the sales team, because of the emotional investment perceived value results uh, and, and the amount of extra profit you left over for the experience that you wanna build, you will be convicted that you can fulfill the promises that you make. And the number one thing that converts prospects into customers is their belief that you will actually be able to help them. And that belief starts with you because at the end of the day, sales is a transfer of conviction from you to them through a bridge of trust, right? 
That is the point. That is how it works. And so if you don't have the conviction to start with, even if you have the trust, you'll never be able to transfer it because you don't actually have the conviction yourself. And so when we think in this way, we realize that raising our prices, having increased profits is not only a good thing to do business-wise, but also the ethical thing to do if you want to provide your customers with the true result that you promised them. All right. And so the goal here, which I wrote here on the right, is to be so much higher that a consumer thinks to themselves, this is so much more expensive. There must be something entirely different going on here. And it forces them to pull you out of that commoditized category into a category of one. So they consider you on your own and your own merits of the offer itself, and then make a values-based decision. You guys digging this? Is this cool? Interesting? Sweet? Okay, cool. So that was framework number three, which is charging what it's worth. I'm doing okay on time. So I'll, I'll we're going in the, into the fourth, fourth, fourth quarter, okay? Which is the value equation. And this is the concept that this book is really um, centered around, all right? Which is this value equation, okay? So I'll tell you a quick story. So um, I, I, did this, uh, I did this presentation. Um, this was a two-day event that we held. And this is actually a fulfillment event. This is not a sales event um, for, for my company. And so every single picture, every single head that you see in this, in this room paid $42,000 to be there. And if you're keeping track from home and you're trying to count 42,000, start at the bottom and uh, go to the left. Um, there's 700 people. All right. It's a very big room. It's very deep. And um, I remember the morning after I felt kind of hungover because I'd been speaking for two straight days. And um, my dad called me up and he sounded really concerned. So I like rolled out of bed and I was like, all right, hold on. I like put a hoodie on and start walking the hallway. And um, he was like, hey, I thought I thought that event that you had was only for your highest level kinds. And I was like, yeah, it was. He's like, no, I mean the, the $42,000 people. And I was like, yeah, it was. And he was like, you had so many people there. How could, how could you have them all pay $42,000 to be there? He's like, do they, do they know you're charging them that much money? This is my dad, right? And I was like, yeah, they're aware that I'm charging. I'm not magically siphoning money from their bank accounts. Like they're aware. He's like, well, I mean, I hope what you're selling is worth it. So my father, my own father sells me this, right? And so, you know, as much as that might've stung in the moment, right? Um, I realized that it was just a lack of understanding. He didn't get how value worked. And so I said, well, let me walk you through an example. I said, if right now, cause he, he is a small business. And I said, hey, if, if I were to able to increase your top line revenue by $239,000 a year, would you pay me 42 grand? He's like, well, it depends. He said, what would I have to do? And I was like, well, uh, you'd have to work 15 hours a week more to, to, to do the system. He was like, okay. He said, how do, how do I, how like, like, do I know is it guaranteed? Like, how do, how do I know that that's what I'm going to get? And I was like, that's just the average, which means half of people do better than if you think you are above average, then you do more than that. He's like, okay. Um, and how long would it take for me to, for me to get that result? And I was like, 11 months on average. And he was like, so it would take me 11 months. That's the average outcome. And I was like, yeah. He's like, yeah. Then I would pay you $42,000 a year for that. And I was like, exactly. And that's why they do too. And so ultimately, that is a premium price experience that I have lived through. All right. So that's 700 people at our highest level in our gym lord business, which is a licensing business. We pay that. It's 28 million a year just from the highest level. Okay. And the reason that that is important is that you can absolutely charge a very large amount of money if you can provide value far in excess of that. 
who here would pay, you know, $40,000 to make an extra $240,000 on average? Would you guys do that if those were the terms? Yes. And that is why these people do too. And so if you want to raise your prices, you must ultimately raise your value. And the reason I, part of the reason I wrote this book was because I hear the term value thrown around in the entrepreneurial community all day long, provide value, give value, blah, 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 right? But no one actually defines what the term means. So this is my best effort at defining it, okay? So there's four variables to the value equation, all right? And so it's a fraction. You've got a numerator and a denominator. You guys can remember from grade school, all right? The numerator's the top, denominator's the bottom. All right, and so if you're trying to make a bigger value or bigger number here, the goal is to maximize the top and minimize the bottom, right? Right. So let's go through the first one. The first one here is, oops, there we go, dream outcome, all right? So the dream outcome is simply to demonstrate that the person must desperately desire what it is you are selling. Sometimes you guys are selling things that no one actually wants, which is why no one buys. The dream outcome doesn't even match, right? You're trying to sell you know, automation to doctors or something, like they don't care, whatever, right? You don't actually want to be selling ice to Eskimos because they're like, I got plenty of ice and I don't value it, right? So as much as that saying is cute, it's also not very business savvy, right? And so dream outcome is, uh, is, is number one. And so the reason that this is so important is that if, let's say for, for men, for example, most men get more status from having money than being, you know, thin, right? And so if I were to survey guys, would you rather be a millionaire or would you rather be thin? Most guys would choose millionaire, right? Right. And so that means that as a category, overall, men will value money more than their appearances, which is why, you know, you see, I won't even get into this uh, more than that, but hopefully you should understand that, which is why the entire category of making, making people make more money, return on investment, et cetera, has higher price tags in general. Okay. And that is what differentiates. So if you have two different things, one is helps guys make more money and the other one helps them lose weight. The one that helps guys make more money in general will be priced higher. Now, what happens if you have two products that are in the same category and one sells for 50,000 and one sells for $5? Well, the reason that you have the other, uh, that you have that price discrepancy due to two things in the same dream outcome is the other three variables, right? How come liposuction is $50,000 and a weight loss ebook is five bucks, even though the dream outcome of weight loss is the same, right? Right. So that brings us to the second part of this equation, all right, which is perceived likelihood of achievement. If I'm buying a $5 ebook, what do I really think my perceived likelihood is, is that I'm actually going to lose weight and look amazingly like the guy on the cover? For five bucks for an ebook, probably pretty low. I might even not even read it, right? I might even not even check my email, right? Now, on the flip side, if I pay $50,000 for liposuction, what's the likelihood that I think it's actually going to happen? Really freaking high, right? So let me give you a different version to illustrate this concept of how increasing the perceived likelihood of achievement actually increases the value you can charge, all right? Because this is the front end. So let's say in that liposuction example, you've got two doctors you can pick from. You got a doctor who's fresh out of medical school. He's never cut into a person. You're going to be his first patient. And then the second doctor has done this procedure specifically for you 10,000 times for people just like you. Which guy are you going to pick? Doctor two with 10,000 successful surgeries or doctor one with zero? This guy. Not only that, you would probably be way more willing to pay way more money for this guy, even though the actual surgery, dream outcome, time under the knife would remain the same. And that is because you, we confer value based on our perception of the likelihood that the person is going to be able to provide us the service that we have. I had a different price point for my business when I had 100 testimonials versus 2,000. Because that was the, that was, and so if any, by the way, if any of you guys ever have to raise your prices because you get better and better over time, you say that was the 100 testimonial price because there was lower perceived likelihood of achievement. Now I've got 2,000, you know it's going to work, right? Right. So the goal of the top is to increase it. 
Now, most starter marketers only focus on the top half of the equation. But when you look at the biggest businesses in the world, they actually put all their attention on the bottom half, which is actually where the competitive moat from operations occurs, okay? So the third variable here is time delay, which is how long between when I purchase and when I get. So if I were to click a button on the internet for a weight loss product, and all of a sudden I pulled my shirt up and I had a six pack, imagine how infinitely valuable that product would be. And to give a different twist on the example, imagine I had a marketing agency and I signed someone up and most marketing competing against saying, oh, it's going to take six years to rip. You're going to you know, do all these things. Whereas the one that I just signed up for, the agency that I created, as soon as I signed the paper, my phone rings with a qualified appointment. And they say, hey, I just saw your ad. Imagine the difference in value. The difference there, even though that might have happened 60 days later in the, in the second example, is time delay. Fast beats free. The easiest way to provide value in any marketplace is look what everyone else is doing and do it in half the time. All right. So that is an element in the third component of value. The goal is to decrease it. And then finally, we have effort and sacrifice, right? And effort and sacrifice are two sides of the same point. Effort is things that you must now start doing that you do not want to do that you must do as a result of a purchase. Sacrifice are things that you now must stop doing that you like doing that you can no longer do as a result of a purchase. So for example, I'm, I'll use weight loss because we've been keeping it consistent. Um, if, if, if I have to start waking up earlier in the morning, then that is effort. If I have to endure being sore, that is effort. If I have to give up drinks with the girls on Saturdays and margarita Mondays, then those are sacrifices, right? And so most, and I like putting both of those in there because when you're writing copy, it's good to think of both, both sides because you have to give up sleeping in, but you have to start waking up early, right? So it just gives you two sides to think about it from a messaging perspective. And so when we're creating a product, the ultimately valuable product would be a product that I didn't have to do anything for that the moment I clicked purchase, I knew it was going to work and it happened immediately. And so think about the difference between, let's say, meditation, right? Meditation is the, the dream outcome is to feel relaxed, right? Perceived likelihood of achievement, meh. Time delay might take us months of meditation to actually get that kind of subjective well-being boost, right? And then the effort and sacrifice is I'm going to have to sit cross-legged, my legs go numb, I have to feel like an idiot because I'm not staying focused. Um, I have to do this for 30 minutes every single day to eventually yield the results, which is why, you know, there's not a lot of huge meditation businesses, right? Flip side, what if I gave you a pill called Xanax? You feel chill, your perceived likelihood is 100%, the time delay is 15 minutes, the effort and sacrifice is you swallow some water in a pill. And that is why you have a multi-billion dollar product. These are just the rules of value, all right? And they don't care about who you are or what you sell. These values, sorry, these pillars to create value can apply. So if you can think about your own business and the offers you have, how can I increase the dream outcome? How can I increase the perceived likelihood of achievement? How can I decrease the time delay for my prospects and decrease what they have to do in order to be successful? Does that make sense? Is that cool? Is that a cool process for envisioning value? You can apply that framework because once you see it, you really can't unsee it. Um, and that's how I think through any of the products that we're, we're ultimately going to sell in any of the companies that we own. All right. And so five, six, seven, eight, nine. So scarcity, how to build that into your offers. Urgency. Scarcity is a function of units. Urgency is a function of time. People usually lock them together, but they are different. Bonuses are what are the things you're going to offer in excess of your, of your core offer? What are the guarantees we're going to offer to, to reverse the risk? There's four. You have unconditional, conditional, implied, and anti-guarantees. All right. There's lots of stuff that I wish I could talk to you more about in terms of creating offer. Um, and so what I want to do is give you guys something cool. All right. So um, you guys enjoy this free gift.
free. You guys want to have something cool for free? So um, at acquisition.com, I have this entire course outlined. Um, this book is 99 cents. You don't have to opt in for it. So I'm not trying to build my list or anything like that. I just want you guys to have this stuff so you can just win. All right. I, I really have nothing to sell you, which is why that's the tagline on my YouTube channel. Um, I just want more people to win. All right. So if you if you want a deep dive on each of these, it comes with uh, checklists and swipe files and downloads. It's all free. You don't have to give me anything. Um, and then if you like the digital version, uh, the Kindle's 99 cents. So hopefully anywhere you are in the world, um, no matter what the economic climate is, you can scrounge up 99 cents uh, to get the, you know, to, to get all, all the stuff. All right. So um, it's all free. My gift to you, like I said, books there. And if you like any of this type of stuff, I have a YouTube channel you can follow me on. Um, and I have, I have an Instagram account. All right. So if you if you like this type of stuff, um, I hope you do. And uh, as a side note, if you are a company that's an e-learning or brick and mortar chain looking to scale, we invest in companies that are at one to 10-ish million that are trying to get to 10 to 50 million um, and beyond. All right. And so that's kind of what we do. So appreciate you guys. Thank you uh, for your attention. I hope you feel like you got a good return on it and have at least a few frameworks that you can apply to increase the effectiveness of your offers and ultimately get more people to opt in, more people to convert by percentage at higher prices and ultimately provide far more value than anyone else in your marketplace. Thanks for listening to The Fighting Entrepreneur with your host, Onyx Singal.